So Psalm 81, let's get into the word here tonight. It's another Psalm of Asaph. Uh, remember, he wrote 10 between him and his children, uh, or is it 12 between him and his children? And after this one, I think we have three more. And at, at that point, we might switch off into another book, just really praying about that. But we have another great Psalm of Asaph tonight. And notice how it starts. It says, to the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of Asaph. And it's interesting, there's only two other psalms that start this way, on an instrument of Gath. And we don't really know for sure what that is. There's a lot of different ideas. Some people think that that's just perhaps a string instrument that perhaps David used. Others think that perhaps it is an instrument from the region of Gath which is the modern-day West Bank. It's where the Philistines were, but there were times when the Israelis were in that area as well. We know Goliath was from Gath. Others believe that perhaps it was a melody from Gath, and so perhaps it was a song that came out of there that they used the melody or the tune of that to worship the Lord. We don't know that for sure, so we're just speculating, and it's really uh, you know, not meant to be a point of contention. It's just something... To consider the beautiful thing is they used an instrument to worship the Lord. And we'll see that more in this psalm, the talk of using trumpets and string instruments and so forth to worship the Lord, the tremble and such. So, you know, we'll talk more about that in the psalm as their encouragement is given in the psalm to take those things and worship the Lord. And as well, a psalm of Asaph. And it seems that this is a psalm that was to be sung during some of the festivals that the Lord had called the Israelis to worship him uh, upon. In verse 3, it talks about the new moon and the full moon. And it talks about blowing the trumpet at the new moon. And no doubt that's a reference to the Feast of Trumpets, which marked uh, the beginning of the year for Israel. And they would go and they would blow trumpets of praise to the Lord. And then the full moon would be 15 days later where they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And that's referred to in verse 3. And verse 5 through 7, as we get through this, we'll see that there's reference to uh, Passover and another one of the feasts. And so it seems that this psalm was to be sung on those days. And it doesn't mean that it couldn't be sung at other times. You know, maybe you could kind of liken it to, you know, a, a Christmas hymn that you would sing around that time when we reflect on the birth of the Lord and some of those hymns are very powerful, and they really should be sung more than just during that season that just really so beautifully convey the gospel and so forth. So a little bit of groundwork there, and let's just get into the psalm and take it a few verses at a time, and I think we'll really be ministered to through the word that's before us here. So again, we looked at the introduction to the chief musician on the instrument of Gath, a psalm of Asaph, and then he says, sing aloud to God our strength, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. And indeed, listen, he is our strength. He's our strength practically, and he's our strength spiritually. And it's so important that we recognize this. It's so important that we remember that any strength we have to do anything, any vitality we have, any power we have, really even opportunities that we have to, you know what, walk in a manner to be able to, you know, provide for our families and to think and so forth. Uh, The breath that you just took, the beat of your heart, it's all a gift from God. And I think it's so important that we recognize that and, and, and we acknowledge that in the day we're living in, especially as Christians, especially in a time where there's so many people that are unthankful to God or even push God out of the equation. And it's really tragic. I think some of the most tragic things that I'm seeing coming out of this pandemic isn't necessarily 
you know, the pandemic, though it's tragic when anyone loses our, their life, you know, we, we never make light of that. But when you see certain people really blaspheming God during this time, I saw yesterday uh, Cuomo, the, the governor there of New York, um, you know, their numbers supposedly are, are starting to go down. And this guy said in this press conference that these numbers aren't, you know what, the curve's not flattening uh, because he said, right, I was not, it's not because of God. And he said, it's not because of faith of any kind. It's because you people have worked hard and isolating yourself. And I just, my heart broke. And I thought, what is such a foolish man? He's only in that position because God's allowed him to be in that place. God gave him the last breath that he took, the beat, the beat of his heart, the ability to even talk. And here he is blaspheming God. And I know some people want to blame God for this. Oh, you know what? Why can't God heal this disease and so forth? And listen, the Bible answers these things. Some people will step back and say, oh, boy, what a question. We can't answer that. We can't answer that. Back in the garden, God made man without sin. Man was in a perfect relationship with God, and God gave man a free will. And to have a real relationship with God, you have to have a free will. Otherwise, it'd be like me having a relationship with the plant right here. You can probably see at least the top of the plant in the video right now. I can't have a real relationship with this plant. This plant has to be able to interact with me in a real manner. And this plant's not made in the image and likeness of God, but man was. And God gave man a free will. And God gave man, again, one commandment. No need of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you are going to die. And again, the serpent came around after Lucifer had already fallen from heaven. And he tempts man, and he calls God a liar. And he says, did God really, you know what, say that? If you eat of it, that you'll die. God knows the day you eat of it, you'll be like him. You'll be a god. And man listened to that lie and said, I will be my own God. We don't need God, is what he said. We'll be our own God. And he ate of that tree, and when he did, death set in. Spiritual death set in. Man was separated from God Almighty. And physical death set in. The Bible says a curse came upon the earth. Man lived, but then he would die. Absolutely, women begin to have sorrow and pain in their birth. He said, you'll earn your keep by the sweat of the brow, and you came from the dust, and to the dust you'll return. These things are the product of fallen man and man going his own way. Now, that doesn't mean if someone contracts this you know what, virus, that's necessarily because of their personal sin. It's because it's a fallen world. And in a fallen world, listen, we're all going to have times when we deal with such things. But absolutely, these things came because of the fall of man. The good news is that Jesus is the ultimate cure. Jesus went to the cross to atone for our sins. He rose from the grave. Listen, this past Sunday, our, our, our passage was all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the victory we have in him over the second death, over hell, how we have eternal life in him. We have a future and a hope in the Lord. And so listen, even here on earth, God is merciful to us. Before I came to know Christ, God was merciful to me and giving breath in my lungs and allowing me to live and allowing me to come to that place of calling upon him. And absolutely, every breath that we take, every beat of our heart, the ability to think and function and to work and the opportunities to do so, they are gifts from God. He is our strength, and we should sing aloud to him and be thankful for him and not be an ungrateful people. Go read Romans 1 about being an ungrateful people. God gives them over to a depraved mind. They start worshiping the creation instead of the creator. They begin to be given over to sexual immorality. And listen, it's a downward slope. And how tragic for a man in that position to be so foolish to say, this isn't because of God. 
when God gave him the breath in his lungs and the ability to even speak. Again, Genesis 2, 7. It says, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed life into his, uh, breathed into his nostrils, the breath of life, and man became a living God. Our life is given to us by God, and we need to recognize that, and we need to praise him for that and thank him for that. Physical strength comes from him, and spiritual strength only comes from him. And tonight, if you're watching this as a follower of Christ, and maybe you're in a place where you're saying, I need to be strengthened, maybe you're downtrodden right now, maybe you're discouraged, listen, there's one place to go where you receive the encouragement and the strength from God spiritually, and that's to God himself. He wants to strengthen you tonight. He wants to encourage you tonight. He wants to empower you with the Holy Spirit tonight. Listen, we've been sealed by the Spirit of God, and God wants to empower us and strengthen us daily with the Spirit of God. Again, Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. God wants to strengthen you in Him. And maybe some of you are saying, I need that. How do I receive that? Well, listen, humble your heart before the Lord. If there's things that you're walking in that are not of God, you need to humble your heart and bring that before God. If you're not being honest and truthful with the Lord, be honest and truthful for him. Maybe just a matter of you humbling your heart and saying, Lord, I need you. Listen, that's a humble action to admit, God, we need you. We need your strength. And a lot of times, we're not doing that because we're trying to handle things ourselves. And why would we be so foolish when we have God Almighty? Again, 1 Peter 5, 6, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time that he may strengthen you in due time, that he may lift you up in due time. And listen, as the psalmist is saying here, sing aloud to God our strength, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob, humble your heart before him, ask for strength, and then begin to worship him. And one of the best ways to worship him is just to take the scriptures and declare them to God in a worshipful manner. I love Acts 4 too, the church be, or, or chapter 4, uh, verse 24, and before that, they begin to be persecuted uh, in the early church for their faith in Christ. And it says they gathered together and they begin to worship God. This is so when they heard that, and what they heard was basically, you know what, you need to quit sharing Jesus. And they said, well, we're going to do what God would have us to do. It says they raised their voice to God and with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. You made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. And then they began to sing the Psalms. And so they cast their care upon God. They didn't say, let's get together and have a committee and learn how to, you know, combat this. But instead, the first thing they did was they humbled their heart. They turned to the Lord. They began to worship the Lord. And if you go down to Acts 4, 23, it says, when they had prayed, the place that they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And so listen, God gives us our physical strength. And spiritual strength only comes from him. It starts by humbling your heart and asking Jesus to be your Lord. And then as a Christian, daily turning to him, giving him praise, giving him worship. Listen, humbling your heart before him, crying out to him, being a man or a woman of the word. And he wants us to do it. He says, make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. And it's important in doing this that we do do it joyfully. God loves a cheerful giver. Versus praising with a grudge or a lip service. This psalm we'll see tonight ends with the Lord talking about his enemies. And basically saying his enemies aren't just those that oppose him openly, but also those that pretend to worship him 
and yet their hearts don't belong to God. And so we can be even children of God, but be walking as an enemy of God if we're not being humble before God. And so he wants us to bring a joyful shout before him, even in times of uncertainty, even in days of peril, even when we're not sure what tomorrow holds. We have so much to be thankful for tonight. We have so much to give him praise for tonight. And absolutely, we have so much to give praise to him as all eternity unfolds before us as followers of the Lord. And we're called to do this. Uh, this is reiterated throughout the scripture. One of my most favorite passages, 1 Thessalonians 5:16. rejoice always. Pray or praise without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus in you. Then it says, do not quench the spirit. And we just talked about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. The quenching of the Holy Spirit comes when we walk in pride, when we don't want to give God glory, when we are not thankful, when we grumble and so forth. Let's not be found a people in that place. Verse 2, he continues in the encouragement to give praise to God. He says, raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, and at the solemn feast on our solemn feast day and so again he talks about the instrument of gath and then he brings in here the tremble the harp the lute taking these instruments to give glory to god to praise god to even prophesy the things of god remember prophecy is in part proclaiming the things of god in power and we can do that in sharing scripture and absolutely, we can do that in worshiping God. And the scripture tells us that we can even do that in playing instruments skillfully unto the glory of God. Now, when we do that unto the glory of men, that's going to quench the spirit of God. But when we do it unto the glory of God, it's powerful. When people really get together and humble their hearts and want to worship the Lord. And when God gives skills and abilities for people to play instruments and they join in with that praise and play those unto God, it's a powerful thing. It's interesting because in First Chronicles 25, it talks specifically about the sons of Asaph prophesying with instruments. It says there in First Chronicles 25.1, it says, moreover, David and the captives of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph, Heman, and Jethudan, who shall prophesy with harps, string instruments, and cymbals. And then it goes on in verse 2, and it says, The sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied according to the order of the king. And I don't think this is a matter of, you know what, Asaph just showing up one day with his kids and then busting out some instruments and prophesying to the glory of God. But no doubt this started in Asaph's home, that he was a man that didn't just worship in the tabernacle when he showed up. But this was a man that worshiped God in his home. And his children learned to worship God in their home. And as God blessed them with an ability to play and learn to play instruments, that started in their home, worshiping and praising God. And then from there, the Lord broadened the ministry and the opportunity to worship God, to sing praise to God, and to minister to others. And now notice what he says here. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon, on our solemn feast day. And we started talking about this when we started in here in the introduction. Now again, the new moon is when the feast of trumpets would occur. Uh, Rosh Hashanah, uh, or the head of the year, it's also called. 
In Leviticus 23, 23, it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. And this is in the fall. And for Israel, this would actually mark the beginning of their calendar. And so they would take trumpets and they would announce the beginning of the year as they were on the lunar calendar. They were on a 360-day year lunar calendar. So at that new moon on the seventh month, which would be their first month or the beginning of the year for them, they would blow these trumpets to the glory of God. And listen, there's some New Testament applications for us in this. As they would blow these trumpets to the glory of God in the New Testament, there are more than one place where it talks about trumpets of God being blown. And I just want to touch on them, uh, you know, to bring some more application to us and where we are even today. You know, the blowing of the trumpets as New Testament believers should, first of all, remind us of the rapture of the church. There are some people today that want to say, well, there's no rapture of the church found in the Bible because I can't find the word rapture anywhere in Scripture. Well, you can't find the word Trinity either, but the Trinity is clearly in Scripture. As God the Father is described as God, God the Son's described as God, God the Holy Spirit's described as God, and we see three persons that are one. It's clearly in the Word of God. And the word rapture is not found in the Scripture, but the rapture itself is found throughout the Word of God. Not only in it talking about the rapture of the church or the Lord snatching away the church, which is where we get our word rapturus, where we get our word rapture from, from the Latin to the English, but we see even throughout the scripture, Enoch was raptured and Elijah was raptured. Jesus was raptured when he ascended to the Father, you know, and on that day of ascension after his resurrection and appearing to the disciples for some 40 days. We read about the two witnesses in the tribulation being raptured. And absolutely, we read about the rapture of the church. And we see that it will come with a trumpet of God. In 1 Thessalonians 4.16, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. And notice here, with the trumpet of God. The Lord himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. So the Lord himself is going to come with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And we've talked about this many times. Those that die in Christ, their bodies go to the earth. Their spirit goes with the Lord. When the Lord comes back, they're coming back in spirit. Their bodies will be resurrected and transformed. It says, then we, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So we're going to be caught up, which again is the Greek word raptus. It's where we get our word rapture from. We're going to be raptured. And listen, we don't know when this is going to happen, but the scripture tells us that we should always be looking for the coming of the Lord. Now listen, in the timeline of this, some people think this won't happen until the end of the tribulation. Some put it somewhere in the middle. I personally lean towards this happening at the beginning of the tribulation. I'll give you a few verses and a reason why here in a second. But no matter what you believe in that, we all need to agree that we should always be watching and looking. The Lord said, my wicked or the wicked servant says, my master delays his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants. And I think the more important thing for us is not when exactly the Lord will come in line with the tribulation, but the fact that he could come today. 
And the Lord said to always wash and to always be ready. And I think one of the dangers of saying I'm a mid-trib believing Christian or a post-trib believing Christian is are you looking for him today? Are you saying the Lord can't come today? I'm supposed to look for an antichrist to come first, first the Christ. And the Lord has called us to watch and look every single day and be about his business. In fact, it's even to, you know, it stir us to be about his business knowing my master can come at any time. Real quickly, Revelation 119. And Revelation is a book that goes deep into, you know, at the tribulation, those last seven years of this age that ends with the second coming of Christ. And then it goes into a thousand year millennial reign of Christ. And then a new heaven and a new earth there at the end of it. But it starts like this. The book of Revelation has an outline. In Revelation 1.19, John is told, write the things you have seen and the things which are and the things that will take place after this. And John indeed writes about the things he sees. He talks about the blood of Christ and, you know, what the Lord has done. And that's referred to there in the book. And then he writes about what's going on, the things that are. And that happens in chapters 2 through 3 as he writes the letters to the church or as the Lord moves on him and the Lord speaks, you know, those letters to the church. And we've looked at those things as those weren't just for letters for the church then. Those are letters for the church today. And those are letters for the church age, the time that was and that time of John and that time now. But then you come to Revelation 4.1 and it says, after these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first, voice, the, excuse me, the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you the things that must take place after this. And remember what he said, write the things you've seen, the things which are, and the things that will take place after this. John writes the letters to the church as the Lord moves on them. It's the Lord's letters, but John's pinning them. And then he hears the voice like a trumpet. He's caught up into heaven, and now he says, write what will happen after this. And if you just use simple logic here, this seems really clearly that that trumpet is an indicator of the church being raptured at the beginning of the tribulation. The other thing with this is that the tribulation predominantly deals with Israel coming to know the Lord. And this is why in the Olivet Discourse, when the Lord talks about the end of the age, he says, you've got to be familiar with the book of Daniel. That Israel was given 70 weeks or 490 years from the, decree went, from the time the decree went forth to rebuild Jerusalem. And you can take that to the date and it talks about from that time to the Messiah being cut off. It would be 483 years. The prophetic clock would start for Israel. And then there would be a last seven years or a last week for Israel, which is in the tribulation. Because we know the tribulation ends with what? It doesn't end with the nations of the world gathering around the Christians, but it ends with the nations of the world gathering around Israel, wanting to destroy Israel. And at that point, they see him whom they pierce, and they repent, and they come to the Lord. And so you got to understand these things to be able to understand prophecy and so forth. So when we think of the Feast of Trumpets, we think of the rapture of the church and praise God, we can think about that tonight. That's our blessed hope. And that should be something that you're thinking about. That should be something that's on your mind. I know the Lord said in the last days, mockers would come. And they would mock the coming of Christ. They'd mock the, the, the rapture of the church. And those people are abundant today. That's a sign the Lord's coming soon. We need to be led by scriptures and have this blessed hope before us. And also have this to stir our hearts, not to be so heavily minded, we're of no earthly good, but to be heavily minded so we can be about the Lord's master 
while we're here on earth. We also read in Revelation 8, chapter or verse 2, it says, And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And during the tribulation, we see during that last seven years period, there are seven seal judgments, followed by seven trumpet judgments, and then seven bowl judgments, where God pours out wrath upon this earth in that time, wanting men to repent and wanting men to come to the Lord. And we see in Revelation, there's some that do, but more don't. Even in the midst of wrath coming from heaven upon this earth, we see that most shake their fists of God and they refuse to repent. Some people have asked, is this pandemic, are we in the tribulation? We are not. Listen, a flu is not the pandemic that's talked about in Revelation. And I know some, you know, this is supposedly a, a very contagious flu, some saying so forth. There's all kinds of people saying all kinds of different things. Um, listen, what I, I know what I know, and I, I know Scripture's true, and I can look and observe what's going on around me. And, um, you know, and I don't need to get into that tonight. But you look at Revelation, and you look at the wrath that comes from God, and listen, that first trumpet that comes, that first judgment that comes in Revelation 8, 7, and this is after the seal judgments, then comes these trumpet judgments. The first trumpet, it says that hell and fire and blood rain down on the earth and wipe away one third of all plant life. And then the second trumpet's blown soon after that, and it says a burning mountain falls into the sea and one third of the ocean turns to blood and one third of all sea life dies. And then the third trumpet's blown, in verse 10, and it says, a star called Wormwood poisons one-third of all the fresh water. And then the fourth trumpet comes, and it says, one-third of the moon, the stars, and the sun darkens. And then the fifth trumpet comes in Revelation 9, 3 through 11, and it talks about these demon locusts being loosed from the pit and then being able to sting non-believers or those without the seal of God, tribulation saints, uh, you know what, are spared from this. And they're stung for five, for five months, and no matter how hard they try, it says they can't take their own life. And I've often thought when I read that about the modern-day fascination with zombies, and think about this, during that time, men will try to take their life and won't be able to take their lives. So imagine the damage that one could do to himself to try to take his life and not, not be able to. In fact, it says they'll call to the stones to fall on them versus repenting to God. And then the sixth trumpet comes in verse 12 through 18 in chapter 9, and it talks about four fallen angels released from the pit, and they go forth and they kill a third of mankind. And you start looking at all the times where it talks about a fourth of mankind and a third of mankind and so forth, and the numbers just start whittling more and more and more, and yet in it, outside of a remnant, most men shake their fists at God Almighty. And then with the seventh trumpet, it introduced seven bold judgments. And where John wasn't even permitted to really write what comes from those bold judgments. And, you know, at the pace that it's going with the seal judgments and then the trumpet judgments even be more intense, and then the bold judgments come. Listen, the point in this and the reason I'm talking about this is because, listen, God's judgment's real. It absolutely is. And God is very merciful. He's been very merciful to us uh, as a nation, very merciful to this world. He's giving opportunity. Today is a day to call upon the Lord. But hear this, the more you reject the mercy of God, the more you store up the wrath of God. And eventually the Lord's going to bring this dispensation to an end. 
He's going to wrap it up. And at the end of that tribulation, he'll literally come back and he's literally going to set up rule here on earth for a thousand years. And after that, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And listen, you can go read all about this in the book of Revelation. And as they're being told, you know, to praise God at, at the, the, the new moon, at the Feast of Trumpets, listen, we should praise God tonight as followers of the Lord. We should praise God for the blessed hope of the rapture of the church. And we should also praise God that he is holy and that he is just in his judgments. And we should really praise him that Jesus Christ went to the cross to take the judgment to us, to take the condemnation to us. Listen, you don't have to be subjected to the judgment of God and the sense of hell and God's wrath. As believers, we'll be judged based on what we did, and there will be rewards and so forth in heaven. But listen, we can rejoice tonight that we have salvation afforded to us through the work of Christ. And anyone tonight watching this, you can humble your heart and call upon Christ to be your Lord and know that you're saved, know that you're washed, know that you have eternal life. So today's the day of salvation. He also talks about, again, blowing the trumpet at the full moon. And this would be the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. It would be the Feast of Engathering. It would be the time they'd worship God because the end of the harvest had come. And listen, the Feast of Tabernacles is something that reminds us of that millennial reign of Christ because Christ himself will come and literally tabernacle with men for a thousand years. What a wonderful day that will be. And listen, the scriptures talk about this in great detail in many places in the Old Testament and in the New. Verse 4, it says, and we'll pick up the pace a bit. It says, for this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. And so what's a statue for Israel? Well, he started by saying, praise God and give worship to God. And then he goes into these feasts. And next he'll talk about Passover. Those were statutes for them. The reminders to us of the rapture of the church, the judgment of God, the second coming of Christ. And Passover is a reminder to us of the work of the cross. And Jesus is our Passover. And again, as they were called to worship God, we've been called to do so with song. Listen, some people think that's optional, but it's not. It's a statute given not only Old Testament, but in the New Testament. And the Lord said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. The Lord says, in, or, or Paul wrote in Ephesians, as the Holy Spirit moved upon him, in Ephesians 5.8, it says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dispensation, but be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's something that God has called us to do, and I can't encourage you enough to be a worshiper of God, to give him praise, to, to give him glory, to be thankful unto him. There's great joy that comes from that. God inhabits the praises of his people. Verse 5, it says, this he established in Joseph as a testimony. When he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand. And this speaks of Passover, verse 5 through 7 where God established Joseph in Egypt to save Israel from that famine that came upon the land. And yet after Joseph passed, a new Pharaoh raised up that oppressed the people. And as he heard the language of the Egyptians, it was reminded to them that they moved into a place of captivity, a place that they were oppressed in. But the beautiful thing is, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and grew. And I think that's a great encouragement for us tonight. Because listen, we're going through a collective trial right now. 
this pandemic, this shelter in place, it's a trial for everybody, really. And as believers, it's really a trial in a way. I know there's great blessings coming out of this for a lot of people. I had a lot of moms tell me on, on Sunday, I'm really enjoying this homeschool thing. I didn't know that we could do that, and we're doing it, and we're really considering doing that next year and using all Christian curriculum. And I thought, praise God. Praise God that they're enjoying their time together, and praise God the Lord's showing some of these families that this might be something that he has for them and for their family. They're getting some direction through this. There's all kinds. I'm blessed to see people, families walking together and things. You didn't see that as much before. And there's a lot of good things uh, coming out of this, but it's a trial too, especially folks with small businesses who can't work. You know, you start getting cabin fever. There's all kinds of things. You start thinking about, you know, is, is how, how, you know, how much can this thing spread? Is it blown out of proportion? Someone says it's Nothing, others says it's big. People get worried about that. People get worried about the economy. Will it be a recession? Will it be a depression? Will I lose my house? Will I lose my job? It's a trial. And yet the more Israel was oppressed, the more they grew. And as a follower of Christ, we need to know and remember that God allows trials to grow us in him. And we need to allow him to grow us in this time. And to do that, we need to have our eyes on Christ. We need to have the main news source that we are getting being the scriptures themselves first and foremost. And listen, if you're spending way more time reading articles and listen to this or that versus spending time in prayer and worshiping God and in the word, that's a grave mistake. We need to go back to the truth. I've had a few days in this or a few moments where it's like I felt anxiety begin to come upon me. When can we have church again? You know, what's going on? How, people are, all these, how are people doing all these different things? And when I just got back to, you know what, I need to stop because I felt it was an attack from the enemy even. I need to worship God. I need to remember his promises. Oh, boy, the spirit of God comes in. You get refocused on the Lord, what's true, and joy comes in and it begins to wash out you know what, that sorrow and faith comes in, it begins to wash out that fear. Fear torments, but faith brings hope. And so let's grow in this time. And let's rest in the Lord in this time. And this time that our Christianity is being tested, listen, let's rest in Christ and who he is. Verse six, he says, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were free from the basket. You called in trouble and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you with the waters Amirabah Selah. And so again, this talks about Israel and Egypt and how they were under a burden there. They were enslaved, but they cried out to the Lord. The scripture says they cried out from an iron furnace and God heard and God answered and God delivered. He says, I answered you in the secret place. And listen, they had to cry out in the secret place. Egypt worshiped false gods. So no doubt they had to cry out in their homes. They had to cry out in their hearts. And God heard them and answered their prayers. The Lord's instructed us to cry out to God in the secret place. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 6, but you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. We need to be crying out to him. We need to be turning to him. We need to be casting our cares upon him. Because you know what? This too is going to pass. It's all going to pass. So let's cry out to him in the midst of these going ons. He talks about testing them in Meribah. And unfortunately, listen, the people really failed the test. It's when they were complaining against God. And Moses struck the rock the first time water came out. 
The second time God said to speak the rock, instead he struck the rock. And you can say Moses failed that second time. And let's allow us in this time not to fail, but to worship the Lord, to draw near to God, to cry out. Maybe even tonight you're saying, dang, I've been failing in this. I've been complaining. I've been grumbling. I haven't been worshiping God. It's time to change that tonight. He says, Selenix, which means stop. Think about this. Let's get back to praising him, to worshiping, to standing in his promises. They are yes and amen in every single day. And if you're watching, if you agree with that, say amen right now. Verse 8, it says, hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me. And so God wants to speak. The question is, will we listen? Will we allow the Lord to admonish us through the scriptures? Verse 9, he says, there shall be no foreign God among you. Nor shall, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And think about this. Israel, or much of Israel, had gotten away from really worshiping God. They had turned to foreign gods. They had turned to things other than God for their hope, their security, their future, who they were trusting in. And that can very easily happen to us. Where we're trusting more in our, you know, at our retirement, or our assets, or our strength, or our abilities, versus God himself. We're trusting more in our government than our God. These are foolish things to do. We can thank God for those things when they're, you know, at being used in a godly way. But those things aren't God. He says, don't have a foreign God among you. Don't worship a foreign God. He says, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. God's the one that's giving us strength right now. God's the one that's giving me the strength to be able to preach right now. He's the one that's given us his word. He's allowing you to listen right now, the breath in your lungs, the beat of your heart again, the food that you have to eat, the water supply you have. Those all come from God, not some from foreign God or, you know, they're not agents of our own strength. They all ultimately come from God. So why would we put anything before him? And he says, listen, don't worship them. Come to me. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt. Christ is the one that died for our sins and rose from the grave. And then he says, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. It's not an awesome praise, an awesome promise. Open your mouth. Listen, open your mouth wide and worship God. Open your mouth wide and cry out to God. Open your mouth wide and recite the scriptures of God. Open your mouth wide and walk in obedience to God. And he says, I'll fill your mouth. I'll meet you at your point of need. And his promises, listen, they're for us today. Verse 11, he says, but my people would not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsel. And you see the pattern of that in Israel, where God would deliver them. And eventually they would go back to a foreign God in bondage. They'd cry out, and then they would harden their heart again. They would walk in their own counsel. They would walk in their own way. They wouldn't heed the voice of God. And it's kind of interesting. Listen, they were delivered out of Egypt, but then they still walked in the pattern of Pharaoh. And that in those plagues that came to Egypt, God was even wanting to get Pharaoh's attention to bring him to repentance. But it says he hardened his heart. And then eventually, God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or God gave Pharaoh over to his own way to a deprived mind. We don't want that to be us. Verse 13, 
He says, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. It's a yearning of God for the people to turn to him, to listen to him, so that he could bless them, so that he could minister to them, so that he could bring life that comes from his way versus walking in their own way. And tonight, oh, that we would listen to him. Oh, Lord, give us ears to hear, and not just to hear, but to walk in the counsel of your word. Verse 14, he says, I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. And indeed, in those times in Israel's history when they walked in worship of God in accordance to his word, they had great victory. And listen, tonight as followers of Christ, when you draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. And when we draw near to him and he draws near to us, then we can resist the enemy. And the Bible says in James 4, then he flees. But it all comes back to, again, humbling our heart before him and crying out to him and turning to him. Verse 15, he says, the haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. This is a very interesting verse. It's saying here the haters of the Lord aren't just those that verbally voice hatred towards God, and there's a lot of people doing that today. It's interesting with all the social media and our messages being on Facebook and YouTube and being a lot more widely viewed. You know, we praise God to be able to have that means to do that and, and you know, the Lord blessing us with all that already set in place as a church. And, you know, a lot of the comments and things on there are worshipful to God, but it just amazes me how hostile some people are towards the Lord and how brazen they are and blaspheming God and some of the comments and so forth. And, you know, most of them, we just leave them up. I think about it. The Lord allowed the scriptures, you know, to include the Pharisees calling him, you know, at Beelzebub and doing the miracles he did by Beelzebub. So most of those we leave up. Some of them we have to take down because they get so foul and filthy. But you look at that and you think, that's an enemy of God, a bold enemy of God. You pray for their salvation. When I read those things, I pray for their salvation. Listen, if you're watching this right now and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to spoo some mate, I'm going to pray for you. That's what I do when I read those. I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to pray for your soul because you're under a delusion and you need the Lord. And, and no doubt, those are enemies of God. Even the Bible talks about before we come to Christ, we're enemies of God. But he talks about people that pretend to be submitted to God, but they're not. People that name the name of Christ in word only, but God doesn't really have their heart. You know, Jesus talks about at judgment, there'll be many people that will come and say, we did this in your name and that in your name, and he'll say, depart from me, you practice lawlessness, and he'll say, I never knew you. Where they had a form of Christianity, but they never really yielded to Christ. They never really asked him to be the Lord. It was all just a big show. Maybe just a big show for their business. Maybe just a big show for their family members. Maybe just a big show so they would get attention. You see a lot of false teaching it's using Christianism as a platform to bring another gospel and for men to make disciples after themselves. And you can see this around, though we don't know anyone's heart, but it, you know, you see forms of this. You can judge the fruit. You can judge the doctrine. 
I think what's most important is that we test our own hearts and make sure that we're not just giving God lip service, that the Lord really has our heart, that he's really our Lord. In fact, the scripture says to test yourself to see if you're in the faith. And maybe tonight you're like, if you're being truthful with God, maybe you're in a place where this verse is speaking to your life. And you're saying, Steve, what do I do? Listen, open up your mouth wide and cry out to God. Ask him to really be your Lord. Ask him to really be your king. Really begin to praise him and glorify him and honor him. Be truthful with him. Cry out and say, Lord, I need your help. Tell him, I want to know that I know that I know you're my Lord. Meet me where I'm at, God. But you can't play and pretend with him. You can do that with people, but you can't do that with God. And what a horrible thing to play church your whole life, to play Christian your whole life, and yet never really be submitted to God in your heart. And that's really what asking Jesus to be your Lord is. To ask Jesus to be your Lord, that means I'm submitted to his lordship. I'm asking you to be the Lord of my life. It's not just some prayer we said sometime that saves us and I go about my own business. When we're really saved, there's fruits of that and that we desire to serve him and live for him. Not that our work saves us. We're saved by grace through faith in him. But it better be a legit faith in him and not lip service. Not, oh yeah, I trust in him when you really don't. I serve him when I really don't. He's my Lord when he's really not. And again, the haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. And obviously, if he's not really your Lord, the fate that would endure forever would be the second death or eternal damnation. And the Lord doesn't want that for anybody, so we need to be real with him. And then finally, he says, he would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. And you miss out on the goodness of God when you just give God lip service. When you're not really yielded to him. When you're not crying out to him and give him praise and worship and so forth. Listen, the fruits of the spirit only come from abiding in the Lord. Apart from him, we can do nothing. The Lord speaks of that. And so all of this is an encouragement. Listen, not to put a heavy yoke on us tonight. But to cast our cares upon him and really turn to him and give praise where it's due. And acknowledge God's the giver of life. God's the, give, the giver of, of eternal life. And God's the giver of abundant life. So let's look unto the Lord. And boy, there's so many voices and so many things out there clamoring for our attention and trying to get our eyes off Christ on other things. Let's make sure we're looking to him first and foremost. And if you haven't called on him tonight, today's the day of salvation. The Lord wants to save you tonight. You don't have to be under the wrath and condemnation of God. Jesus came to make the way of salvation. He didn't come to condemn because we're already condemned, but he came to make the way of salvation. And that comes through calling upon Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, which means you're turning from being your own Lord. To say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the grave. And I'm asking you to save me and meet me where I'm at. And he will, as the scriptures say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you glory. We thank you for this time in this psalm, Lord. Lord, I know we're just scratching the surface of it. 
but we thank you for it, God. We thank you for the things tonight we've looked at and pray these things would be considered, Lord. I just pray, God, that we would be a people who worship you in spirit and truth. And just pray tonight, God, if there's any God that even know you, but they really haven't been turning to you, Lord, that they would afresh. And Lord, any here tonight, God, that don't know you, that they would call upon you for salvation tonight and ask you to be their Lord and Savior. Continue to go before us, God. We thank you that you're the lifter of our heads. Shine your face upon your people, God, and we pray you would arise, your enemies would be scattered, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, just a couple last things. Number one, encourage you to be sharing these messages with others. It's simple as a click. They're on your computer. Also a reminder, Friday at 8 p.m., we're going to have live worship on Facebook and YouTube and just a time to worship the Lord. And then this weekend at 9 a.m., Lord willing, we'll be streaming again on Facebook and on YouTube. And then from 11 to 1, we'll have drive-through prayer and encouragement there in the parking lot and food distribution and so forth. So God bless you guys tonight. I pray he just shines his face on you and meet you right where you're at. God bless you.